In the end, I kept seeing Bronwyn. Our romance was tragically cut short, however, when the excitement of winning an RSL meat tray proved too much for Bronwyn's heart. The bittersweet memory of holding a tray of delicious chops in one arm, whilst Bronwyn lay dying in the other, is one that will stay with me long after I've gnawed the last piece of crackling. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek, the other host. Bartek, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing very well. Five stars. (laughs) That's good. That's a high rating that I've heard in a while. Yeah, it's a very high rating. Uh, I give it a yum out of yum yum. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bartek, why are we called Spit and Polish Presents? Just to refresh everyone. Uh, for continuity's sake. We started in 2015 and we've kept it going. And what's the law there? The deep, heavy law? The continuity, what is it? Um, well, one day I was just minding my own business, spitting, and then... And then your world was turned upside down. <laughs> Um, that was later, but, and then you saw me spitting and you said, I do that too. And I was like, oh yeah. And your last name is Polish. And he said, and he being you (laughs) said to me, your crazy consonant last name is also Polish spit and Polish. We should call ourselves that. And then we said, uh, to each other, or I think I said it, but it might've been you that said it, uh, that we should be a podcasting duo. I gotta ask you, uh, you've often had, because uh, your last name is very hard to pronounce for, for most people, mine's a bit easier, mm-hmm. even though people still get it wrong, we've often talked about like what's the funny way people have mispronounced our names, but I was talking to my parents the other day about how many people mistake my last name for not being Polish, but for being Jewish, and I, I don't know why, I thought the amount of I's in my name was very obvious, but how, what's the, have, what's the like... Uh, the the wrong origin for your name you've gotten a lot like people don't often go they often they don't i would imagine they don't often hear your name and go oh that must be polish or bartek even but what's a country of origin people think you are from that you're not it's very bold of you to think that people have a guess because they just ask me straight up what's that from or what is that really because i often get the people go oh is that this place? So they ask, but the asking is also an assumption of. No, I just I... assume that you would have gotten that too because I have a weird last name, but you have a weird first name and last name, so I assume that people would do that to you. If anything, it would be the first name, definitely not the last name. Yeah, people give up on your last name. They're like, <laughs> oh, there are some very bold people that try. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, I went. I went to a thing called school, the education system. They do a thing called reading out the role. Fair Some enough. people are like just. It's funny because I'm always in the middle because my last name's K. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's very established as the they're reading the role that like they're saying the first and last name. Then they come to me and just Bartek, <laughs> and it's just very <laughs> obvious. It's like okay, yeah, you gave up. I mean, it's fair. I uh, I just was curious. I was thinking about it, but. Enough of that. We're doing our monthly show, Bartek. Pictures Power. Not Pictures Power. Imagine That's if it was. That's the weekly one. That's the weekly one. 
We're doing our monthly show, a televisual event, in which we talk about uh, a TV show that uh, we feel like discussing. More often than not, they're more obscure cult shows that a lot of people either haven't seen, or uh, uh, a lot of podcasts haven't discussed, or shows in general that haven't gotten a lot of discussion, uh, especially at recent times. Uh, we've been, uh, not by design, but randomly it seems, but it has set in stone, we've been going American-British-Australian, American-British-Australian has been kind of the order of the episodes. Oh, I haven't noticed, but yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, it's true. Our last Australian show, I believe, was Double the Fist, which Mm -hmm. has crossover with the show that we're going to be discussing this episode. Bartek, what's the televisual event that is the topic of discussion? We are doing the TV show Review with Miles Barlow. Which, of course, as stated, is an Australian show. It is a comedy show. What's the pitch of this show for people who have never heard of this? Uh, This is one of those very convenient shows where the intro explains the pitch. Basically, mm. uh, it explains what a reviewer is. You know, it's a person that reviews things, typically movies, books, or, you know, Food. TV shows. Uh, this podcast does reviews. Um, but this show focuses on a character who reviews all facets of life. Mm, he doesn't restrict himself to just one thing. He reviews anything. Mm-hmm. And each episode you get uh, maybe two, three, maybe even four scenarios of things he's reviewing as the main focus. And in between those, you get little things, like just a little quick cutaway uh, segment of him reviewing something like Drowning or yeah. something absurd. <laughs> it's it's a 12-episode series, but it's one of those ones where um, you know the, the episodes are like 27 minutes long and there's three nine-minute segments, so it's really more of a... Yeah, like one by three episodes thing going on. So there's basically like 27 segments rather than just, you know, 12 episodes. Sorry, 13. 13. But uh, that's the pitch. Oh, yeah. There's 13 episodes if you include the Christmas special. Yep. Um, But that's kind of the pitch of the show. Like when you just say, oh, it's about a guy who reviews anything. But what's... (laughs) Vajik, what's the actual show like, though? Yeah, yeah, so it, much like previous uh, shows we've done, it's, uh, it, it does have a second layer of, like, exploring this character's, I guess, I- identity, mental state, sort of, it, it's... His yeah. ideals. His ideals, yeah, it's, it's... You're watching this consistent character go through all these things, and <laughs> and it, it it varies in tone a lot. There there are parts where it's just more straight up black comedy, then it like veers into cringe comedy at times. Yes. Yeah. The main thing is Miles Barlow re- re- will review anything, including concepts and mm-hmm. just general ideas to downright weird subjects like. Oh, I'll review killing some individuals, specifically at Car Sanderlands. Or he will go from, I'm reviewing fear, to, oh, I'm reviewing imitation. Like, just general... I, it's very odd, but the, 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 the consistent thing is Mars Barlow is a fictional character. 
Um, he's not a real person, but there is a brief allure that this could be a real thing because I was never, I'm not familiar with the actor. And so he comes across at first, he's got the look and the show style, um, comes across like this is a genuine show, but then very quickly, you know, it's not, but there is that brief glimpse of this could be real. Like if you tuned in randomly to this show you could take him at face value that he's doing these horrible things obviously it's not but there is that you know that brief glimmer that this could be a real guy because you've never heard of this guy you've never heard of miles barlow you've never seen this guy before but he wears a suit and he looks respectable and he looks like someone who would host a show like this yeah he's got a big vocabulary and hand gestures (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is, the show is very dark. It's very grisly. It's very cringe-inducing. It's very uh, amoral. Um, Miles Barlow will always take the twisted route of exploring the idea at hand. It's a simple, oh, he's going to review art. What's it like to be an artist? And you're thinking, oh, well, if this is a normal show, he would review, like, Oh, the struggles of being an artist. But immediately he decides, oh, I'm going to uh, use used heroin needles as my art form. But I need real used heroin needles, so I need heroin addicts. And then it just goes on and on. It keeps escalating to the point where he's got an apartment filled with addicts that he's supplying these needles to so that he can fuel his art. It goes... From one, it goes to a ludicrous extreme with each one, and usually they're very dark extremes. And he never, um, he's amoral. Like at the end of each segment, he will maybe reflect about upon how this has hurt him, or maybe in a, a narration how this is affecting him psychologically. But evidently, not so much because he keeps doing it. Yeah, it's it's odd. You can't really call him a sociopath since a huge focus of what he discusses is his feelings, and uh, especially more so early on, uh, the fact that he kind of doesn't mm. want to go through some of the things he's doing. It's, but he's it's a, a very... psychopath, at least. <laughs> yeah, so he's definitely psychotic. Um, yeah, it's it's this very... And it's got that whole thing of that some fictional TV shows have where at the end of every episode things come back to a status quo thing so no matter how Mm. absurd any of his uh reviews or segments are they will always end with him back in the studio looking completely fine and just calmly uh putting a bow on the story and giving his rating and then series two comes around and says we're not gonna do that there's actually gonna be long-lasting consequences and there's gonna be a heavier emphasis on continuity of his reviews affecting other reviews yeah but not always so it keeps you on your toes it always keeps you on your toes that's that's (laughs) the thing but let's talk history and relationship with this tv show I have a history. I saw this when it first aired. I remember the allure of the show. It was on the ABC again. And I remember that there was some outrage about the show. There was lots of discussion about how taboo this show was, especially from my recollection, his episode about destitution, about being homeless. And that episode is what I remember being discussed a lot. I remember that one being advertised uh, heavily as well from the ABC as kind of like, this is the show. And I, re- I remember that 
it was a controversial show. There was lots of... Um, during the mid to late 2000s, the ABC uh, would have lots of controversial comedies. Obviously, Chris Lilly, who is still very controversial to this day. Um, but Review with Miles Barlow was one of those shows. It was one of those, how could the ABC put this on the air? There was lots of vigor against it. And then somehow he got a second series. It came back, and it was even more so deplorable than the first. (laughs) And I loved it. It was a show that I absolutely adored, and I appreciated it. And like I said, Bartek, at the time, people didn't know who he was. So there were some ignorant people who didn't realize that this was a a, a comedy show. They thought that, whoever this, who is this Miles Barlow guy? Um, like with Double the Fist, there was some outrage from people about, like, how could this get nominated for these awards, or how could this even be allowed on TV, and who are these people, what's their intention? And not realising the intention is, uh, comedy. (laughs) (laughs) So, I adored this show, and it's always one of those shows I think of when I think of great Australian shows, because also... Um, More so than Double the Fist, this one has a great comedic idea. The idea of this random guy will review anything, and he will go to he will just go to absolute deplorable lengths to review whatever the subject matter is. It's such a great comedic idea, and the fact that they play it straight lace the fact that the fact that they play it with no comedy in it like they play it like it's a serious drama in a way there's obviously jokes and there's obviously a comedic air to it because it is a comedy but they play it straight the idea of it is just brilliant from a comedic standpoint that you could do so much with this idea and i think they explore the idea to its fullest potential (laughs) (laughs) but what about you yeah, this is similar to some previous episodes. This is another one that you have talked about a lot, uh, more so than Double the Fist. You've brought this one up many, many times. Mm. Um, I remember, I think at one point last year or earlier this year, you, our friend Will, and I were at your house and you showed us a segment from this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was shown after, you know, the few years of hearing about it from you. Um, and I, I understood the premise of it from what you told me, but actually seeing it in action, um, it, it gave me an understanding of like, oh, okay, I see what type of the show this is. I don't remember for the life of me what segment it was, mm. um, but it was one that, that, that got to me and that I would be interested in checking out. And then you told me we'd be doing it for for television event. And uh, I think... Very soon after you told me we'd be doing it, I started the first season because I thought, like, yeah, why not? Let's get let's get into it. Yeah. And how did you feel having now seen a full episode and the full show? I showed you a segment you've heard me talk about. It. I talked about it on a Double the Fist episode even. it's I think I bring it up more because it was a newer show that more people had talked about. So I was kind of a bit like, oh, you hadn't you hadn't heard of seen of it, Bartek? It was pretty talked about at the time. But I can understand why it slipped you by. Well, Double the Fist, no one really remembers that show for, as fondly as I would like and... So that one doesn't get brought up enough, uh, and even I don't bring it up as much as I could, but review I bring up more, but how did you feel having now watched Miles Barlow? It was, yeah, it was a great time. It was interesting seeing the scope of the show change as it went along. Like I said earlier, 
not as much mm. continuity at first, um, but still just a little bit. Um, and also, since yet again, this is another show where the the real focus is on this one character, uh, just seeing how his head operates, like I mentioned earlier, can't be called a sociopath because of these reasons, can be called this because of these reasons. So it was interesting seeing um, the lengths he would go and his his views on them. Yeah. Um, this is probably the darkest comedy we've discussed on the show. Um, are you a fan of dark or black comedy? No, I'd, I'd say I am, yeah. It's, it's, it's very different from more straight-laced normal comedies. Uh, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, something different. Yeah, because I was just curious, because some people don't, obviously, enjoy it, because uh, especially dark comedy like this, it's very confronting, it's very, like I've said several times, amoral in its in its view, like what it's exploring, it's deplorable, but we get a, there's just something primal, there's a, there's a joy, there's a kick one gets out of watching a show like this in which you watch a character like Miles Barlow who has no redeeming qualities. He's not a likable person. He he has he go, he chooses the wrong path every single time. Yet there's something still enjoyable enough about the the the, the events that you want to keep watching the show. And for some people dark comedies especially of that nature are very off-putting. Like it's very off-putting a lot of the stuff Miles Barlow does. But uh, I was just curious of what your relationship to that kind of comedy is, because, I, you know, I don't think of you as a huge uh, viewer or fan of dark comedies. You seem more to me like you like your black adders, your more traditional witty kind of comedies. But dark comedies more so maybe in movies and shows, perhaps you're a bigger fan of? I'd say so, simply because I don't watch as many shows. Um... But yeah, the, this show had a had a huge range of them. Like, like I said earlier, there are some that hit the cringe comedy factor, and I could definitely feel the cringe there. Um, mm. And then there were others where it made you feel uncomfortable. And again, because I was trying to understand the main character's point of view, um, it's it melded well with the uncomfortability. Did it ever go too far for you? Was there was there a segment or a, a moment where you were too confronted by it or you felt like this was too much? Um, I don't think anything got to me too much. Like, again, I think I reacted more strongly to some of the cringe comedy uh, aspects, mm. not so much the, the destitution one or, or the murder one. Yeah, but still, some of the cringe stuff can be a little too much. Like, uh, for some people, like, the prison stuff has a lot of cringy, awkward things he does. Sympathy was the big one for me. (laughs) We're talking about sympathy. Sympathy. Oh, boy. Is that the final Uh, episode? Um, I want to say it is. Uh, one of the, I know he does happiness in the final. Happiness and acceptance. Oh, sorry, no, the it's the second one. last one, yeah. Yeah, where he does art as well. But <laughs> uh, I don't think, 
for me I was ever too confronted because it's always you know even with dark comedies there's some that still push it a bit too far for for one's viewing like and that's the point right they want to push you they want to confront you like I love peep show but there are some episodes of peep show where I'm like oh my god it's too much but I still watch it because it's funny but mm-hmm. I just feel overwhelmed and there were some moments where I felt overwhelmed with Miles Barlow for sure I I would be remiss not to mention the most overwhelming one for me, and it's my personal favorite. It's the why I always bring up as, to me, it's the golden standard of Miles Barlow. It's where it's the peak of the idea, which is betrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring that one up a lot. <laughs> betrayal, in which he helps, you know, an asylum seeker, you know, someone who's needing refuge from from terrible circumstances in their home country. He helps bring them over here, gives them a life, promises, gives them, help them find a job, help them find happiness, promises that their family's going to come over, and then he just calls the border security people on him, just and takes them back, and he dies. You, you've told me about this segment so many times over the years, but actually watching it, I... I was blown away by how, like, genuinely heartwarming it was in its build-up <laughs> towards the, the climax. But you know for the entire time... Because of what the show is, because at the beginning of each segment, he lets Miles Barlow lets you know what the the segment's going to be about. So that one's about betrayal. So even as even though it's heartwarming, we the audience know the entire time he's going to fuck him over, and Miles lets us know that he's going to fuck him over, and he's feeling really bad about it. But still, seeing it happen is gut wrenching, but it's hilarious at the same time because it, it, and of the only, construction of it, the show. Yeah, and it's only emphasized by how genuinely heartwarming it is because you know that the ending is not going to be happy. Mister, Mister Miles, Mister Miles, as he gets dragged away, does <laughs> you know that the guy, ne- like in that moment, didn't understand that Miles betrayed him. That yeah. makes it sadder. But I always bring up betrayal as the golden standard because, I don't know, it's it's a concept that he explores to the full degree that one can. He manufactures, it's a manufactured betrayal. And it's, I don't know, just like you said, it's got so many elements to it. It's heartwarming, it's gut-wrenching. Miles Barlow, as the character, plays it so well. Like, the character of playing out that he's this guy's friend, and he actually becomes his friend, but he still has to do what he does because of whatever reason Miles Barlow does what he does. <laughs> like, um, you know, he reviews anything, and he- he'll compromise everything so that he can give it a five-star review or not. Yeah, I know that in... Because in the first episode, you see in some segments that he has a family. Uh, then second episode, one of the first topics he does is divorce. <laughs> so in... And that one really just emphasizes, you know, this guy doesn't actually want to divorce his wife. He actually loves his wife. He loves <laughs> the family and the home he has. Um, but something his compel his job is compelling him to throw it all away for the sake of a review yeah yeah uh, did you have a personal favorite thing that he reviewed like segment uh, that really struck a chord with you that you found really great because for me it's betrayal but what about you um that's so hard to think uh because i watched the first season like a week ago so i've got recency in my head um i've got a list of all the episodes in front of me right here so i'll just quickly scan through that um 
But yeah, the the sympathy one for the cringe comedy factor was a big, <laughs> big emotional reaction from me. Yeah. Uh, imitation was another one. Where he, where he pretends to be like a long lost American son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he fuckers up and they find out that he's a liar and he still <laughs> wants to pretend. He still wants to keep up the imitation. <laughs> and he, the way he reviews that at the very end where he compares it to like a handbag where, or something where it, you know, you get a few wares out of it, but before you know, it all falls apart, and you re and you see it for the imitation it truly is. Yeah, um, I know, I know my definite favorite uh, in between review, the one that's like ten seconds long, mm. uh, is regret. <laughs> and I... what was regret? <laughs> so in these segments, he basically just gives a quick name of the topic, quick review, and then the rating. Regret, he doesn't say a single word throughout the entire thing. It's just him with his shirt off, looking in the mirror at him covered in tattoos and just looking really, really regretful. <laughs> I I had a really good laugh at that. Yeah. Uh, but So you seem to really enjoy Review with Miles Barlow. I'm glad. I was curious. I was worried when I was watching it that it would be a little bit too, too much for you. I was... I like Sometimes I underestimate other people's... Uh, tolerance for these type of comedies because I've had more hits than miss. I've had more misses than hits trying to share these type of shows with people. And I was, mm -hmm. I was. I'm glad to hear that you 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 enjoyed the show overall. Um, yeah, there's lots to choose from when it comes to to favorites. I thought for you, your favorite. I don't know why. I thought you would get a kick out of him being a racist. Um, that one had a lot of gags that I think would appeal, that I thought would appeal to you, like him being inconvenienced, the fact that he can't go to convenience stores anymore because, because he's a racist now. So he has to go all the way out to get these things. And like, that's where his morals are at this point. Not feeling bad about having personally hurt a friend of his, but now he can't get his newspaper. He has to go several blocks away. Just, yeah, that that's that another one similar to Divorce where... It's clear that he doesn't like it and doesn't want to do it, but he just has to do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Hatred is another great one that he reviews where he goes out of his way to be the most hated person ever. I like uh, that one as well. What I like about the Hatred one is it could have been so easy for them to cop out and be like, oh, he reviews being hated. But like with all of the reviews a good portion of them, they review the other side of it too, which is he is getting hatred from everyone around him, his family, his neighbours, the media, the public. But then he, in turn, reviews what it is like to feel hatred because he is being hated so much, in turn, that is spawning hatred within him. And it's great that that episode, a silly comedy, reviews about, oh, I'm going to review what it's like to be a racist or I'm going to review... Uh, you know, having sex with a sex worker. Each one of them, they review an interesting facet of that true life thing that you think that this show, you know, being a stupid comedy show, wouldn't actually explore. But with the hatred one, they do explore the fact that, you know, hatred begets hatred. It's, you know, these people hate him and he becomes hateful himself. And I like the fact that they explore each one of these with nuances and depth in that way that you, you kind of feel like you don't expect, but... After having watched the show, you should kind of expect it, because each episode does that in some way, shape, or form. 
Yeah, and even with the sex worker one, he brings up right at the end, like, oh, and the person who prompted me to explore uh, paying for sex uh, didn't specify their sexuality, so I also reviewing sex with a male sex worker. I like how in that too, he was the one getting fucked as well. <laughs> like, I don't know why well, I mean, he needed to do it that way, but he did. I guess, I guess the experience of getting fucked is a bit different than fucking. True, true. Um... Speaking as a man. Speaking as a man. I oh yeah, there's many uh different avenues he explores. I also felt um as cringeworthy as the show is. Did you find it relieving that every now and then, just for a brief moment, and you know it's gonna be ruined, that there were genuine heartwarming moments that mm-hmm. they will snuff out because Mars Barlow is deplorable, but did you did you like the fact that the show didn't just dwell the whole time in the cesspool? No, you definitely need that because you know this is a mockumentary. Um, it's trying to give the illusion that it's taking place in the real world. And as much as we all talk about how, like, oh, the world is awful, bad things are happening, you know, you do have lighter moments. And if you have just complete misery and darkness the entire time, you know that it's it's just it's it's a biased uh portrayal of the world so yeah having having the lighter moments uh adds adds balance and balance is what you need to make it seem you know more realistic and we will briefly talk about the american redo later on but just to talk about this levity or these lighter moments it does equal balance but what also helps balance it out is you know that those moments of lightness, of happiness, are going to have a dark twist at the end because that's the format of the show. So when you have the, say, the intergenerational relationship, right, Mm -hmm. I found it genuinely compelling and heartfelt that he felt more in tune with being the younger partner to the older partner and that he got over the hang-up of having sexual relations with an older person and he felt a genuine connection to her but obviously there's going to be the dark twist where the granddaughter finds out and, and then obviously the the you know the grandmother she dies obviously later on in his little monologue at the end where he's describing holding the the the, the lamb roast and her dying body in the other arm and <laughs> but it was sweet there's you know even if it's for like five seconds of sweetness it you need like you said you need that balance but it doesn't that that those moments of sweetness don't feel out of place they don't feel like a betrayal of the show or of the tone of the show but they're just respite like the christmas special hey it seems like miles barlow is doing pretty well with christmas but you know he's gonna fuck it up because that's the show and then he does by inviting craig anderson's you know that character's dad graham's dad and he fucks it all up <laughs> and you know well, at least the first segment ended with a happy ending yes yeah, some do end with a somewhat happy ending and you know he does give positive ratings to things like Obviously, the golden, another golden standard, the one that this show is probably remembered for very highly, is having a dickhead for a friend. Oh yeah, that one's early on. That one's like the first episode, I want to say, right? Yeah, yeah, second segment, first episode. And that one has a somewhat happy 
turn to it. Like, there's not a really, there's no real huge dark turn to it. Like, he acts like a dickhead. He's his friend is deplorable, but at the end of the day, he gives it a positive rating because a friendship is a friendship, and mm. those are more often than not inherently positive experiences. And I like that. Like, I like that. Every now and then, there is something positive that he's reviewing. Like, he gets something genuine out of it. Like, obviously, it's kind of funny because, you know, having a dickhead for a friend, the bad thing was you turn into a dickhead as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but like, yeah, he he had a certain sense of freedom brought about from being a dickhead and having a dickhead for a friend, and that was something that came out in the end as being uh, the stronger outtake. Because, yeah, a lot of these things, they have positives and negative values, and then whatever he liked the most would be what the review, the, the rating is based on. One of my favourite running gags, it only happens like two or three times, is when he's in the review, like when we're watching the review segment, and he's exhilarated by something, and he screams, five stars! <laughs> five stars! <laughs> and then when it comes crashing down to the monologue at the end, and he doesn't give it a five-star thing, you know... <laughs> I just love that little recurring gag of just like Miles Barlow in the moment will give it a five star, but that you know he has enough restraint and and professionalism to reel it back and see it for what it was. Yeah, paying for sex, he gave it five stars in the video, but then the two star overall when he was in the studio. And in the first episode, when he's running around at the schoolies event naked, and he's like five stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was a thing. That was a thing. Um. What did you think of the the performances overall? I mean, mainly it's Mars Barlow, but the second series kind of brings in some more regular characters. Like we mentioned Craig Anderson's uh, a semi-regular character who's... Uh, Craig Anderson was Steve Fox from Double the Fist, and he plays mm-hmm. a character, Graham. But what did you think of the performances overall? Um, Yeah, all, all the characters that weren't really... Uh, super character character caricatures um they were all very believable uh they mm. all they all had very great reactions to the the chaoticness that miles brings about um there was there wasn't really any stiffness or anything like that going on uh miles himself obviously really nails it he he <laughs> he's got this calm demeanor about him that gets tested in so many ways um he has moments where he breaks down and the context that he that he tackles really bring out a huge range of things uh, of performance possibilities um mm-hmm. And Craig Anderson, it was nice to see him again. He, he was he was very amusing. He was in it a few times as a few different characters, as was uh, Hot Rod from Double of Fist was in it a few times as well as a few different characters. Yeah, I, I first noticed, um, I think it was the paying for sex letter was from Craig Anderson. <laughs> yes. And that made me think like, oh, is he going to be involved in some way? And I think that very episode was the one where he played uh, the, the was it Lloyd, was it? Um, I can't remember what... Oh, no, Graham, sorry. Yeah, 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 Graham. There was an episode where he turned up as a clown, I'm pretty sure. You you mainly heard him, you didn't see him as much, but he was a clown. There Was another... was that the, the Josh Lawson reality show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Josh that Lawson was really was funny. Am- Josh Lawson was amazing in this. 
Um, there was another one where he turned up in the destitution episode where he paid Miles to suck his cock. Oh yeah, I noticed. I noticed his voice there. And he had his long hair because this was around, you know, maybe a couple years after they redid they did series two of Double the Fist. And then, yeah, he's Graham. And I think he's a couple of other characters here and there, mainly like voices on things that I noticed. Uh, but I love the performances in this. I love his wife. Um, mm. She plays it like a drama. That's what I'm saying. Like everyone, including Miles, Phil Lloyd, uh, they play it like this is a real thing. Uh, and that's what's so re- relieving about it because you could play this so silly. You could reduce this down to just being shock humor and it's just there for the wink-wink, nudge-nudge comedy stuff. And obviously the Miles character has his more overt comedy moments when he's, uh, you know, doing voiceover stuff or when he's doing his uh, reading of the letters or his wrap-up review moments where he's doing this ludicrous amount of, you know, synonyms and metaphors and imagery that's so stupid. And uh, but, but he plays it completely as if this is a real show. This is... It feels real. Like, the internal logic is sound to how his show operates, why he gives things these ratings make sense as well. Like, there's an internal logic to each one of the characters, even if they're silly characters, like uh, actors playing themselves, but they're like a weirdo version of themselves, like Barry Crocker. They have an internal logic and, and, and rules of how those characters work within this silly cartoon world, like David Stratton. David Stratton was a well-known, uh, he is still a well-known uh, film critic, and he, he was on the ABC with his, you know, review show with Margaret, and David Stratton was always kind of seen as uh, the serious one out of the two of those um, film critics, and he's kind of a, you know, seen as a bit of a, you know, straight-laced stick-in-the-mud type, a bit posh, and, you know, a bit that, but you see him in this show, and he's still that, but they're putting that con him the real version of him they're putting it in this silly context where he knows who miles barlow is and doesn't respect him as a critic yeah and they've got this like dynamic rivalry (laughs) yeah because david stratton's the most respected film critic and miles barlow is not respected by anyone in the universe of the show (laughs) yet he still has a show within the universe of the show but I love the performances from pretty much everyone. There's not a, a performance that even silly little cameos like Chaz from Chaser being <laughs> himself. Because at first you don't realize some of the characters are themselves, like they're playing a version of themselves. And then they reveal, no, that is them. And that's a little joke in itself. Yeah, that, that was really funny. Because we're a big fan of uh, The Chaser, who are like a, a comedy journalist group. They are very political. They 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 have had several shows, and they have a publication. They, they have a lot of things one of them, going on. One of them was a late 2000s controversial show on the ABC, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and Chaz uh, is one of them. And as he mentions in this uh, episode, he, he has a background in law. And a lot of them either have a background in law or media or journalism or, or that general sphere where if they weren't comedians, they would have real jobs. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see a little cameo like that. I mean, I thought you would be thrilled by the, the Chaser cameos. There was a couple of other ones like Charles Firth was uh, Miles Barlow's doppelganger. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I thought you would really appreciate it because you, you and I, we often talk about the Chaser as well as 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 a comedy group that we particularly enjoy, and I thought you would enjoy that particular cameo mm-hmm. from Chaz. Yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even in the the Logie special, we had Chris. Mm. Oh man, that was so good. As as an as an underwhelming celebrity, <laughs> but I think the central performance Mars Barlow it's what keeps the show together if if it was played a different way the whole show wouldn't work I think it's a fearless performance not only because he you know he, he gets naked and he does all these deplorable things but it's kind of fearless in the way that uh like this it seems like there's there's no boundaries that he's not willing to cross in the performance itself. Like, he really puts you in the shoes of the awkwardness really well. Like, there are many cringeworthy moments. Of course, sympathy, that that segment being a, a, a big one to point to. But if it wasn't for the fact that Phil Lloyd was, wasn't adept at making us feel how uncomfortable the situation is, it wouldn't hit across because... Miles Barlow's in charge of each situation. He's the reason that these things have happened. And he could be played as this omniscient, uh, kind of uh, cynical, uh, detached jerk. But like you said, he doesn't want to be doing these things, but he does them because... Yeah, m- most of the time he doesn't want to. Sometimes he gets into it a lot. but Too much. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them... Are definitely like he's forcing himself, but he, but he still puts his all into doing them. He doesn't really hold back. So we've kind of mentioned sympathy. Let's talk about that segment. Uh, uh, what what happens in the sympathy segment? So the sympathy segment is one where obviously he's reviewing the concept of sympathy, being re- receiving sympathy, um, and it starts out with him joining a a group of divorced fathers who are struggling with their situation, which he mm. is because of the aforementioned divorce segment from the beginning of the show. Um, and that's a big running gag throughout the whole show where um, <laughs> he's still divorced all the way through and there's a lot of hijinks going on around that, like courtroom things like that. Um, he joins this group and obviously everyone in this group needs some support um, but he needs to somehow monopolize all of the sympathy. And there is one guy in particular who is, you know, genuinely struggling and genuinely needs to be there. And he, Miles keeps referring to this guy as being like his big rival in the group that he has to one up in every situation. So it, Miles would like purposely injure himself, giving himself genuine injuries, um, pretending at times that he is having. Uh, mental problems to to monopolize the sympathy suicidal tendencies yeah suicidal tendencies yeah there there comes a point where um that rival of his goes off the deep end and dies um and during a moment of silence for him he just interrupts it by stating you know that he tried to kill himself again yeah, completely stealing the moment from him. And again, Miles is a psychopath. He thinks that this guy was somehow aware of what Miles was doing and was competing he he with was him. He thinks he was competing. Yeah. 
how would the guy know? <laughs> like, how would the guy be competing with Miles? Like, Miles doesn't understand other humans. He only understands himself. And even then, he doesn't understand himself because he's he's psychotic. And as happens many times within a lot of episodes, he gives himself serious uh, mental illnesses. And he treats it like, well, the review's over, so that's gone away now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which doesn't work. And the show proves it doesn't work because he gets worse and worse and worse as it goes along. Like, oh, addiction. Oh, I got addicted and now it's over, but... Anytime he's given some booze or something, he'll get instantly hooked on it and just fall off again. It just, it just doesn't go away. Like, his divorce has serious repercussions. But sympathy, it's just such a... Because you're thinking, oh, he's going to try out giving sympathy. But he really doesn't. He just immediately goes for, oh, I want people to feel sympathy for me. Again, selfish. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't focused too much on the the stimulus to each segment, which is he receives a letter from someone mm. who's basically asking him for a device, and he tries to analyze the main uh, idea in this letter to review. And sometimes it's very straightforward. Yes, uh, but most of the times, it's Nebulous. you know, like I yeah, it, it's you know, the kid wants a telescope. And Miles sees it as, oh, I need to review voyeurism. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of the time, he'll go, like we said, within the reviews, he goes to an extreme to get to the point. But before the reviews, he goes to an extreme to pick what he's going to review. A simple letter saying, like, this is happening. And he'll pick up, oh, this is reconciliation. Or this is this. Or this. He goes to ludicrous extremes picking what he wants to review in the first place so again the structure works perfectly for how we know we're going to get a dark play a dark twist to how it's going to play out because the introduction to what he's reviewing already has a dark twist to it a lot of the jokes in the show are visual jokes, such as when he's sitting in his chair and you see the TV screen behind him and you just see the word come up of what he's going to be reviewing. And that in mm -hmm. itself is hilarious because you're going, oh, this is what he has extrapolated from the letter. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've already mentioned this, but like sometimes it's very specific, like killing Carl Sanderlands. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're very specific. <laughs> but sympathy uh, in that one he pitches oh i'm dying and you think even though series two has had a stronger continuity than the first you think oh well that's going to go away after this episode like you said the status quo is going to be reset but the him faking his death idea is a major component in the next episode's review of happiness, <laughs> of yeah. happiness, because it ruins... Well, it makes happiness happen, and then it ruins happiness for him, in a way. <laughs> yep. I, um... We, talk, um, we talked about when we did Double the Fist. Double the Fist had a first series and a second one, very different to one another, yet also very similar. You could say the same for Miles Barlow, like the structure's there, but we've been talking about the... The second series focuses more on creating a lore to the show and creating, uh, you know, these characters that are running throughout and giving more consequences to Miles' reviews and giving a stronger sense of continuity. And we're talking about that in a way that seems like we both enjoyed that decision. Um, mm -hmm. Why does that work 
uh, say, because Double the Fist, they wanted to do a similar thing. They wanted to take the format, redo it, and like kind of vamp it up, have continuity, have character arcs, have journeys, all that stuff. It didn't work for that show, but you know, it kind of works for this one, where this one's mm-hmm. also a simple idea of all you want to see is Miles Barlow fuck up in each segment. Why does it work here? Uh, at first, when when you know when I started watching the season and got up to second third episode, at first I was wondering if I liked the decision to do it. Um, and ultimately, since I think it worked, it doesn't bother me in this one. I think it might be because the it still has the tight structure of you know three nine minute episodes. Mm. Um, you know, every not all of them actually contain any continuity at all. Only occasionally does mm. it pop up. I think there might have even been like two or three episodes in a row where there wasn't really that well that's a bit of a bold statement there's usually always a reference to like you know divorced wife and the wife appears for a scene or two yeah um but for the most part the topic that is being covered really is uh the central point of it like maybe with the happiness one when it brings in the thing from sympathy that one you know doesn't pass as much but since it's the last episode um it's it's leading up to a certain conclusion uh and i yeah i think the fact that it still does have this sort of individuality mm. um not a complete running story where even though you know the double the fist season two had the whole premise of like oh every episode we're covering a different topic mm. the focus was largely on the continuity and like moving towards mm. uh, the next plot points and the whole reality tv show aspect of that that season didn't really work as much because we were just watching characters act and mm. further a narrative. Whereas with this one, every single nine minute segment is still reviewing the one topic, even if things are coming in. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's still focusing on its idea. Yeah, I completely agree. It's instead of Double the Fist season, uh, second series felt like a, a change while this felt like an evolution of the idea because this still feels like the pitch of the show. It still feels like the format of the show. It's just evolving it. It's saying, what happens if there's consequences? And I think that works in two folds, uh, in two ways. One, all of the characters feel in, in in line with where they were the first series. They still feel the same. Well, Double the Fist, they didn't feel the same. They felt changed um, to match what they wanted to do. While this, they feel the same way. Like, Miles Barlow reacts the way you would expect him to react, uh, in the second series like he did in the first. And the other one that I find to be very important is, uh, the first series of, uh, Miles Barlow, Miles Barlow in general, is each segment is in a way serving as a, 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 a tale of morals. It's a moral play in a way where, although he's choosing the wrong morals, that in itself is telling us what the right moral is. And mm. you could just keep doing that in a stasis, but the decision of let's expand upon that, let's actually explore the moral implications further and more so the ramifications it makes sense because the ideas are moral little moral plays yes he's choosing the wrong thing but now he's choosing the wrong thing and that thing's going to affect him in further episodes and a lot of the times 
the way it affects him actually improves the review of the next one. Like we said, sympathy. He fakes his death. So then when he reviews, like he's faking that he's dying. He fakes cancer. He fakes cancer. So then in happiness, that actually makes a happiness review uh, exist because the consequences of that are affecting his happiness. And a part of what he's reviewing is with happiness is how does one deal with the bad side of life? And the fact that the bad side of life he is having is a consequence of a previous review is actually really great. And it feels rewarding. I think those are the things that make it work, is the, is the fact that characters still feel like who they are and the structure, the, the, the goal of the show of each one of these little segments in turn being a, a, a discussion or an, uh, an exploration of morals... It just feels logical that you would kind of want to progress that further. And it also kind of like completes a little arc for his lawyer who Mm. by the end actually does have a breaking point where he's like, no, this has gone too far. I'm not your lawyer anymore. And as dark as Miles Barlow gets, he gets punished as well. Like he, he loses his wife. She never wants to get back with him. No matter what he does, he's never going to get her again. It's a punishment. And then at mm-hmm. the end, he gets punished because he goes to prison. <laughs> yeah, and it's the only time where he finishes off a review in somewhere that's not the studio. Because he didn't make it out of that one. And again, another one, reconciliation. The only one he never got to finish the review for because he couldn't find any reconciliation with his wife because he fucked up. Yeah, both seasons have a really interesting way of ending differently. Yeah, and... That's the difference is like series two of Double the Fist is it ended in a way where I never wanted to see any of these characters again and they were all horrible and but if but they won. You know, they won. The bad guys won. Ha ha ha. Well Mars Barlow, it feels a little bit more refreshing because he's the bad guy and he loses. He he fucking gets punished again and again. And what's it in service of? of reviewing this window for uh, four stars, as David Stratton puts it. It is as trivial as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet people still write to him. And Well, he has fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Including Craig Anderson, the 29-year-old bus-driving virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, um, did you... Uh, I'm trying to think. There's so much that I want to bring up. Did you have a favorite cele- celebrity or, you know, minor Australian celebrity that turned up in here? Uh, I recognized a few. Like, there was Heath Franklin at one point. There was <laughs> yeah. Chaz Lichardello, Josh Lawson, um, oh, David Stratton. Andrew O'Keefe. I didn't... Yeah, I didn't recognize all of them, but whenever I did, it was it was nice because it shows like, oh, maybe I do know some stuff about the country I live in. Yeah, but did you have a did you have even ones that you don't know? Did you have ones that you you liked how they played into the story? Because, like I said, like there does come a point in series two also leans heavy on having those kind of appearances in there, like um mm. uh, um uh, John Jarrett, John Jarrett. Oh yeah, yeah. He was in. He was in the 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 fear. Was it fear? fear and that yeah. was set up because they had already talked about Wolf Creek with yeah, with the running joke with the drug dealing actor. Who's my favorite? I I loved him. He <laughs> he because he appears in the first series like once. 
Yeah, he was in the Risk one because there was drug mule. Yes, and you think, oh, ha ha ha, the guy from Rabbit Proof Fence and the boys and stuff, he's he's in an episode, oh, that's funny, like, uh, but then in the second series they make him a full-fledged character and they give him, like, an ideology and rules and, and, and connections and I just, yeah, Anthony Hayes. Anthony Hayes was amazing. I loved him. I loved... Yeah, I, I was thinking of him, because, yeah, when he comes back in season two, they do a lot of different things with him. I love um, when they want to kill Carl Sanderlance. They He goes to <laughs> Anthony Hayes because he looks like him. You're like, you look like him. <laughs> so I want to practice with you. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny segment. I thought Anthony Hayes was a, a, a breath of fresh air because he's more of a dramatic actor. Like all the films he lists off that he's been in, like he's worked worked with Heath Ledger. He's he you know, like he mentions, and he's worked with like big names. And he's more of a, like I think of him as a more dramatic actor. So it was nice to see mm. him let loose and be funny. And the the celebrities, the Australian people that they chose for Miles Barlow, none of them were distracting. They always felt like the right level of. Uh, you know, B-grade level or C-grade level of celebrity, like Corey, the famous Corey, appeared. Yeah, Corey Worthington. And he was great. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite <laughs> gags is about Corey, when, when the doctors handed them his glasses. His glasses. <laughs> The doctor was leaning, I'm like, oh, it's going to be the glasses, isn't it? Because the, they're famous. His famous glasses. And... I found those, at first I was worried that they were going to be distracting, because in Double the Fist they were distracting when they had, oh, the guy from the Umbilical Brothers, or, oh, it's Ian Turpy. They didn't feel like they served anything. They were just kind of, oh, we can have them now. We can have our friends or these people we admire. It felt a bit more like we can have it. But in Miles Barlow, it felt deliberate. I loved Andrew O'Keefe as well. Andrew O'Keefe was amazing. He was very good. <laughs> The, yes, he was a very, very good Scrooge. Um, I, yeah, what else is there to say about Review with Miles Barlow? Anything else you want to, you want to bring up about the show it, itself? Um, I might be misremembering something, but in the years where you've been talking about the show, you, I, did you bring up at one point that there was an episode where, Miles Barlow amends or gives a different rating to Betrayal or something like that? No, I don't remember saying that. Oh, God. I For some reason, because when I walked into this show, I had this idea that, like, oh, yeah, there are these things Ryan mentioned. There's going to be an episode on Betrayal. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. And there's going to be an episode later down the line where he deals with someone and ends up betraying them. And he talks about how, like, I already reviewed Betrayal and... But and it wasn't a great experience. But since betraying this guy, I see the the upsides to it. Maybe and I give it this maybe you got it mixed with they, he has a kind of similar thing with murder with murdering Carl Sanderlands, where he kind of does bring up that he's kind of touched upon this before. Maybe that was but it. Yeah. The twist with that is he kills. He has to kill his friend Carl Sanderlands, the other Carl Sanderlands, because he just can't get the real one. Yeah. Because of consequences, okay, yeah, yeah. he's not allowed on to America anymore. Yeah, I, I was yeah, I was really worried that like, oh, did I miss an episode? But and I looked at the episode list, and I'm like, no, I've seen all this. Yeah, and it's also nice that they're just uh, the double the fist connections are cool because uh, Craig Anderson worked a lot behind the scenes as well, like script editor and uh, several assistant director. assistant director, and yeah, it was nice to see that involvement again because 
we enjoy Double the Fist, and we saw Miles Barlow in that ep- in one of the episodes of Double the Fist drinking toilet water. So again, fearless. We know that this guy will do anything, <laughs> mm. like show his ass a lot. <laughs> he did. That's right. He got naked a lot. I, I really, I, I had a good time also with the um the making of featurette. Yeah, it was very fun. Yeah, for for a show that like you know kind of gives off this posh exterior i guess you know we're reviewing something the guys that made it and people working on it did all seem to have a sort of juvenile humor uh, sensibilities towards the show which i thought was really cool i guess one of the questions i will ask to be a bit more uh uh, you know on the offense of the show is is it an is it is it a weakness or bothersome or bad that like Miles, like, why does he do this? Like, we never, like, we get told at the beginning of each episode, but it does, like, why does he do this? Why does he do the reviews? Like, what's it in service of? Is that bad? Because he just says, oh, I do it because somebody's got to do it kind of attitude. But he does so many horrible things that you would expect Mm -hmm. a show to kind of delve deeper into his ideology as to why he does them. But we don't really get that. He just does yeah, them I, I guess the only other thing that really serves that is every single episode opens with that narration with the, the you know the guys like hmm. he's got this very you know passionate voice talking about how and i think the last line he says is like there's one man you can trust <laughs> which if you imagine that this show is miles barlow's baby um, that line probably indicates like a level of self pride. Yeah. That um, you know, like he he thinks he's doing this because other people need it. Mm. So may, maybe maybe that leads into even though he reviewed this, his little act of heroism. Yeah, because I wonder because like in the show, I think it's perfectly fine. I don't need it, but in the show, you know, he has a show. But it treats it like mm-hmm. people around him don't know he has a show, except for when they do know. Like, David Stratton knows he has a TV show. But his wife yeah, never comments true. upon, is this one of your reviews? Or anything. And he never... And I do respect the fact that Mars Barlow never uses in the moments of as a defense of, well, I'm doing this as a review. That's why I'm doing this. He always debases himself. That's right. That's right. In, in divorce, when he's talking about the, what's that term? Uh, ownership? Uh, custody, custody. Full custody thing. Um, they bring up a bunch of things that he's done, which clearly would be episodes that he's done. Yeah. Um, and he just tries to justify why he did it. He didn't say, well, that was for an episode I did forever ago. No, and so is that a bad thing, though? Because I could see that being something that would stick in people's craws, right? Like, there's there is internal logic, but then here there isn't. Like, when it comes to why he does this, they on purposely don't really give us it. Like, the narration at the beginning is it, and each narration, each episode has a slightly different variation in the narration, too. Like, it's never just the same one again and again and again. There's always slight word changes and just slight flipping around of things, which also makes it murkier because each narration is telling you a slightly different reason. In a way. Mm. I think I'm with you on the, it doesn't bother me at all, and I don't think people should be bothered by it, but if they are bothered by it, you know, I guess that's on them. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't I didn't really think about it that hard, but even I came up with a reason, like, oh, he 
probably has some sort of self-pride, as evident by the fact that every episode opens with a passionate introduction. Now, I just want to talk about the Christmas special real quick, because that's the last Miles Barlow. There's only two series of this, 13 episodes. The Christmas mm-hmm. special's weird. Um, it's funny. I love the Christmas special. Like, it opens up with Tony Jones. Tony Jones? Mm-hmm. Being the yep. host of it. And that's kind of funny if you've just watched the last one where Miles is in prison. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they've replaced him. And then you, the gag is like summer hosts. Well, you know, one star, whatever. Um, yep. One of my favorite gags in that, though, is they do the opening credits of Miles' show, but with him in it. And one of them is yep. him reviewing being himself. <laughs> Like, being Tony Jones or whatever, and he just gives it, like, five stars. And another one is yeah. being a plane, and it's just him waving his arms up and down, and he gives it <laughs> half a star. That was great, yeah. I love that one. <laughs> Very silly, but did it bother you that the Christmas special is the last thing we get? Because, to me, it's a perfect ending when he's in prison. Like, it kind of, to me, is like, oh, well, that that kind of sums up the whole entire show. Like, the whole entire show is him doing deplorable things until he gets severely punished. Like, he's being choked out at the end of the last episode, but then in this one, he's just back, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Is that uh, in, annoying? In, in, my, in my head, I just assumed that, like, oh, this episode was, in in the universe of the show, made before he was sent to prison something like that because Mm. there's a point in the episode where he's having it's the last segment the christmas spirit Mm. where he's having you know that christmas dinner and his wife and kids are there Mm. and they and it's it's just the thing that happens like they're there it's not a big deal that they're there they're not really weirded out the, the fact that they're there yeah so i just assumed that like oh because this is treated as normal i'm guessing that this is you know this is a special it's yeah either outside of the continuity of the show or it was set before it ended. I agree. I think that's the case, too. I, I just brought it up because it's the last thing we see of the show, the Christmas special. And to me, as much as I love it, and I know that they have probably... I think they shot it... I think it was in the continuity before the last episode, because also Graham treats him like he doesn't really remember him outside of that one incident. But in early in the series, they had addiction, and Graham was one of the people mm-hmm. at his intervention. And he remembers him, so I feel like if the intervention happened after this episode where he formed a stronger connection with Graham, that would make more sense. Okay, yeah, I didn't think of that. That lends more credence to it. I think maybe, and I don't know, they probably shot it and made it in mind with this being before the series happened, but chronologically when the series came out, it was wise to put this at the end because it's for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I love it, but to me, like, if I'm going to rewatch it, I'll rewatch that one at the beginning of series two and let it finish with the prison one because, to me, that's a perfect ending. Like, I do not need to see Miles Barlow ever again as a as a show. Maybe little mm-hmm. segments, but that ending of him, <laughs> you know, serving time and being choked out and being miserable, perfect. And, Don't yeah, need to and see trying to come up with. Yeah, and trying to come up with new ideas for the next episode. Like, we we, we are used to this. We, we've watched British shows a lot, and we've grown up in Australia where two, maybe three series of a show is it, and, like, you get a max of, like, maybe 22 episodes or whatever, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and this is a great example of why that's enough, because to me, I think they explored the idea fully. I don't know what else you could do with it. I don't know how else you could top what they did. I think they ruffled enough feathers. I think they explored enough weird concepts and ideas. I don't think there was anything more that they needed to do with this, and they didn't. They just left it there. And they, they left it to the Americans. Let's talk about that, shall we? <laughs> sure. Uh, did you know that there was an American redo of this? I know you didn't know much th- about this show, but did you know that there was an American show that went for three seasons? So I think in the years of you talking about it, you might have mentioned it, um, and you mentioned uh, that you weren't a big fan of it and that it's not as good as this show, um, but that's all I knew about it. When you told me, oh, well, let's do this show, and also you can check out the American show if you want to feel a bit masochistic, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I will. And then I looked up how many episodes there were, and I was like, Jesus, there's like th- 36 episodes or something? Yeah. Yeah. Did you check out one? I, I checked out the first episode a couple Good. of hours ago. When, yeah. The first one's a great one to compare it to, because the first one's a, a pretty much a replica of the first episode of Review with Mars Barlow. Um, I watched this show, I probably watched the first season of the American Review, being a big fan of the Australian Review, and I'm not against this idea of them exploring it uh, themselves, because I think the idea of review as a concept, comedy-wise, like I said, is brilliant, and you could do so much with it, and I think the lead, uh, the the guy who did this, uh, Andrew Daly, I like him as a comedian, I've enjoyed his work, I think he's very smart, I think he's very clever, I think he's got a lot going on, and I heard that, oh, he's going to be kind of steering this ship, Okay, I think he would actually be a good, good in charge of this. I think this would work. I actually, I was actually excited for it, Bartek. Mm-hmm. I hate it so much. I hate it so much because they make so many decisions that I go, this is why the other one didn't do this. <laughs> so many, like, but before I get ahead of myself, um, what did you think of it? Oh, I thought it was better, so yeah, fuck Australia. <laughs> what did you actually think of it, though? Um, I thought it was a bit okay, bit off compared to what I was expecting. Like, I-, I can definitely see some people liking this more than the Australian one, and maybe even just liking it in general. And when I was Googling about it, everyone, everything that I found seemed pretty positive on it. Yeah, it's, um, it's higher rated also, than the Australian one. Yeah, and but there's also this like underlying thing of like some reviews or comments about it. It's like, oh, this is, I didn't realize this was actually a remake of an Australian show. Um, so they'd be looking at it as its own thing. So when mm. they call it, you know, clever and original, um, you know, if they if they don't know that it's a remake, then yeah, that that lends credence to it. But uh, yeah. having watched the Australian one and moving to the American one, I could definitely see moments where like. They're doing something very clearly different, and then there are moments where, oh, they're clearly remaking a moment from Miles Barlow. Like, the very first episode uh, segment is stealing as well, and there's a moment where an old lady is struggling to put Mm. her bags in the car, 
and the main character goes up to the old lady, says, can I carry your bag, or can I help you with your bags? They thank him, uh, and then they're holding the bags, they look awkward, and then they just go, I'm sorry, and run away. And it was the exact same in the American one, just different camera angles, basically. Oh no, Bartek. Very different. Very different. It's it's how it's played. Miles Barlow plays it so different. He, he may be the same line, but you know what he also doesn't do? He doesn't run to his own car, put the bags in, and while he's doing that, fucking keep talking about how bad he feels about this, and, oh, I'm not enjoying this feeling, and, oh, this isn't a positive review at the moment. I'm really feeling bad. He doesn't do that. He just walks yeah. away. Yeah, I just meant the, the, the little moment of, like, I'm sorry, run away, but that's the big thing that I was that I was going to say. He, the character, the Forrest McNeil character, um, mm. he... He doesn't feel as professional as Miles Barlow. No. It almost feels like he doesn't know why he's doing it. Whereas with Miles, even though we don't know exactly everything about him, we get this sense that like, oh, well, Miles knows what he's doing, even if he's feeling off about it. It's It was very weird. Like, even, after the, even before the segment, like, he has an assistant that reads him a letter that... Why is she there? Based on his acting... Sorry? Why is she there? She doesn't do I, anything. I, <laughs> I've watched the show. She doesn't do really anything. She just sits there. Oh, jeez. But, yeah, what I was going to say was after she reads him the letter, or, or the, sorry, the first one was a video thing, mm-hmm. um, the way that the main character acts, it seems like he didn't know what the letter was or the, the video thing was. So, again, yeah. that immediately lends credence away from the fact that he knows what he's doing. And then you even get this shot of him just, like, walking out of the studio to go do the review, and it just feels really weird. Like, like I guess maybe that's what the character is, but... And, and, and then he goes to the store and just explains, like, okay, this is what I'm going to try out. There's no surprise. I'm gonna give you, yeah, I'm going to give you my straight-up reactions and and my thought process as I'm doing it. Oh, no, Bartek. Miles... We, we don't even get him go straight to the store. We go we go to his fucking staff room where he practices the scene that we're going to be watching in the next scene with his staff. And then we get him driving to the store with his staff, describing what they're going to do. And then we have him in the store describing what he's going to do instead of just letting it be a surprise. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> we're dumb. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting very aggressive. I had hope for this as a, as a series. I did. And I've watched the first series and I've watched the last episode because I knew Phil Lloyd was in the last episode and he does not play Miles Barlow. Big strike. They should have gone to play Miles Barlow. They should have had the two face off against each other. It would have been great if Miles Barlow appeared in the last episode and he was reviewing review. Like, he was reviewing what it was like to have an American remake of his show that would have been fucking excellent but no he just plays phil from melbourne it it would have been excellent for us yeah but it would have been a great idea that oh oh there's another review show it's not just forrest mcneil there's another one who's not impressed with his one that would have been great like he could have played the david stratton role mars could could have been david stratton maybe they could have had a review off and like review each other's show Right, but uh, they could have gags about how, like, oh, this scene with the old lady is the exact same, or whatever. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the American Review, and there's many reasons as to why. 
that we could do a whole episode on just having watched a single episode to compare. But one of the differences that I think Mars, the American one, it's not because it's more sentimental and more lighthearted or whatever. That can be fine. But what I think is the difference is that I do not like is they play it like a comedy. Forrest McNeil is a wacky comedy character. He's constantly smiling and he's a bit of an idiot and he doesn't know what he's doing. But the women know what they're doing in the start. Like, he's an idiot and oh boy, he doesn't want to do these things, but he's too dumb not to. And his wife, oh boy, she's reading a book while listening to headphones while he's doing ice or whatever it is. Like, it's played like everything's a gag. There's a moment where Forrest McNeil leaves the room and the camera pans over to Fred Willard so Fred Willard could do a comedy set. That would never happen yeah, yeah. in the Australian version because no one played it like they were in a comedy. They were playing it like this was a real show. Yeah, that moment was really weird. It was bad. That's what it was. It was terrible. <laughs> and that's the difference that I think, you know, makes it lesser, is it never feels as biting or as sharp because they're playing it like it's a comedy club. They're playing it like they're at Mad Libs. They're playing it like, who can shout louder? Who Like, the ideas aren't inherently wrong because obviously the Australian version did them. But I think if they played it more straight-laced... It would work better, but then again, you're gonna have the same version as the, you're gonna have the same show as the Australian one. But I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with the American approach of having it be a bit more silly and light-hearted and a bit more goofy. But it's how you still play it like it's an outright comedy. Like one example I point to is it's always sunny in Philadelphia, very outrageous show, very over-the-top comedy show. They're very much comedy characters. But they have such conviction in their performances and the gorilla style of It's Always Sunny with their with their shitty camera and it's kind of handheld and shaky a little bit. They feel real. They feel like they're not playing it like they're in a comedy as strongly as this show is. So yeah, I, it loses everything to me. Yeah, there were, there were a couple of moments where it felt a little like the Australian show. Mainly it's like camera work when he was talking to people on the street and like the camera was a bit further away and a bit more handholdy but uh yeah the overall it, it i i like the australian one more based on the first episode i won't be completely unfair and say that it's awful because i've only watched the first episode but i'm not sold on it based on that no and uh, i just wanted to bring it up briefly because it's always interesting when we don't often get the american version of an australian show and if we do it gets cancelled real quick like kath and kim the american version gone but this went on for three seasons longer than the australian show higher rated because more people have seen it Yet, I've never met anyone who's actually watched it. It's one of those amazing shows that, like, when I say amazing, like, it's a high-rated show with big names, relatively well-known names in it, with a great concept, and yet, I don't know anyone who's ever heard of it. Like, there's so many shows like that, that are just, like, you find out, like, ten years later, wait, this was a show that went for six seasons, yet I never heard of it. And this is one of those, like you, like you said, you were a bit surprised of how many episodes it had. Like I was, yeah. And yet you never heard of it. Nothing from it seemed familiar outside of having just watched the Australian version. 
That's true. And also another thing that doesn't work about the American version is, and this is, again, from just the first episode, but again, I've watched the first season, so maybe it changes, but if I had not watched the Australian show, I wouldn't, I didn't fully understand, just having watched the first episode again last night, the first episode didn't fully communicate across with the narration at the beginning and, and the actual show of what the show is, like his show within it. Like, Mars Barlow makes it very clear to me what he's doing and what he's reviewing and what's happening and that he's reviewing everything. But the Forrest McNeil one, it, it just didn't come across as clearly to me. Like, I was watching it with my wife, Rachel, and she was very confused because she understood what the show was because we had just watched the Australian one, but she was confused with how the American one presents the core concept. It was very kind of muddled. Hmm. Where if you hadn't watched the Australian one, you wouldn't fully know what the go was. And then also, as you saw in that episode, Bartek, they introduced their own original segment, which was the weakest one of the whole bunch. <laughs> the, what happens if I went to the school prom? Yeah. And it's the weakest segment of that episode. And that's a lot of that show was, that first season at least, was whenever they had their own ideas their own original things, it was, it stood out because it wasn't mm -hmm. as a, like, it wasn't, it wasn't as, I don't know, compelling to me. But that's my bias as someone who's seen the Australian show. But I just wanted to bring it up because it is fascinating to me that an Australian show got remade into an American show, went on for so long. And I was curious of, well, maybe I was biased the first time and maybe I still am, but I wanted to get your take on it because... Here it is. It exists. I mean, did the first episode of the American one make you want to visit any more? Uh, I don't know. I was very middle of the road. I think having just come off the Australian one, I can just see, you know, th this sensibility is a bit different. Hmm. Uh, I want. I would want something a bit more individual. And I think I even read online that, like, there eventually comes a point where the character's life, you know, completely... Hmm gets ruined and like mm. everything adds up to this final mental state and i thought like mm. yeah even though the australian one you know has has continuity leading to consequences that feels like a bit bit too much Ste steps in the wrong direction for what i would want out of you know an alternative version of miles barlow yeah i you know i i don't know it very different approaches like here's how i think like here's how different it is uh, Andrew Daly, the, the, you know, the Forrest McNeil talked about on a Reddit AMA that it, they thought it was wise for him to divorce his wife early on so that it was morally okay for him to go on sexual escapades. Mm -hmm. And Miles Barlow gets divorced in the second episode and then he goes on sexual escapades. But to me, having watched that Australian version, it doesn't feel like they would have even cared about letting it be morally okay that Miles does this. He would just do this. Well, That's true, yeah. It's very American. We don't want Forrest McNeil to be like Miles Barlow, because Miles Barlow is a detestable, unlikable loser. And the American shows, you know, they don't like that as often. I'm not saying never, but they don't want their main characters to be absolutely hated. Well... You know, the Australian one, that was kind of the goal. Like, how much more hateable and unlikable can we make him? That was a part of the fascination, mm. is how much further can they go? 
uh, especially after the racism episode. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. You did you did point out that the Forrest McNeil character has a lot more of a naivete, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of attitude. Like, not, yeah, yeah. It, it, he he doesn't. He seems to want your sympathy a bit more. And I also don't like the idea of the American one of having people. He has a team. And he has people who work with him. It makes it feel less important that he's doing it. And it also makes it feel less morally corrupt of him. Like, oh, well, it's not just him doing it. His whole entire staff are with him on it. Doesn't... Yeah, throughout all of Miles Barlow, like, it almost seems completely alien, the fact that, like, cameras are running the entire time and people don't acknowledge them. Yeah, yeah, except for David Stratton. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> David Stratton just is like, I don't give a shit. I love when they got into a fight. David David and him, it was amazing. It's like, <laughs> stop biting. <laughs> but, and David kicked his ass. Um, but yeah, the American version, it exists. Um, people enjoyed it enough for it to have three seasons, yet enjoyed it enough to never talk about it ever again. Uh, the Australian one still gets talked about in that, oh, what a great cult series way. But, uh, you know, that's just... Yeah, and only one episode of the cult. Yeah, that that one was great too. <laughs> yeah, very big action scene, and it was a big focus of the making of special. Oh, they deserved it. Uh, what would you give Miles Barlow review with Miles Barlow out of five? Yeah, well, it, it was funny. It was funny, but you know, I can't go around saying that like you know this is a great show because some people might copy things that happened in it. So I think. Morally, I can only give it about half a star. Like a lifeboat. <laughs> yeah. mm. But the star is the sun, so it's a very big half a star. Yeah, I, I mean, I give it five stars. I think it's perfect. Uh, there's nothing that I would change about it. There's no f- <laughs> fundamental flaw to me. All of it is great. All of it. I love it. It's just, it's a brilliant show. And if you have seen the American one and you somehow still sat here and listened to all of this, it's still worth checking out. There's so much that we haven't even touched upon that are huge, monumental, fucking horrid moments or brilliant moments within the show because there's just so much. A, I, I think I one of the big things I really liked was every single episode ends with a, next week I'll be doing this, and the last thing he mentions you actually have like a little video clip of, and they're always like really funny things. And they're never the thing that's on next week. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're never, never, ever. But that's that's why they recorded there, just for like <laughs> shits and giggles, like wandering too far from a nudist colony and just walking naked out of some bushes. So good. Well, that's review with Miles Barlow. Uh, such a great show. I mean, another factor that works with it too is, no offense to Phil Lloyd, but I think he kind of knows this because he plays it. Is Miles Barlow looks psychotic like he just has these dead cold eyes and his hair the way it's combed forward like they really embrace the fact that he looks like a serial killer you know like they embrace Mm. that a lot more as the show goes on i think that's a huge strength too is he just is this blank-faced cold-eyed psychopath (laughs) uh that we were um were you saying at some point that apparently the 
the people who made the American version have contempt for the Australian well, version? Well, I think they do. So the, I've watched okay. interviews with Andrew Daly where he talks about the... Well, he always brings up... It's a, it's a redo of an Australian show. And he always brings it up. like, And that's great. I love the fact that he brings it up. And obviously they, he has a love for the show in some way. Like Phil, Lord was bro- uh, Phil Lloyd was brought in uh, for the last episode of that American one, which was great of them to do. Again, I think they missed out on not making him Miles Barlow, but whatever. At least they still brought him in. It's just in a lot of interviews, he kind of just talks about that. And I fundamentally disagree, but again, it's different perspectives of, oh, the Australian one had brilliant ideas that, you know, they could have fleshed out more. It's a lot of, we have done that now. Like, he divorces his wife, but it doesn't really feel like, like, they don't exploit that enough. They don't wring that out enough. Like, it's a lot of feeling like the Australian show just was the tip of the iceberg, but luckily we explored more than just the tip. And to I me, see. I don't agree. I think Miles Barlow, the review with Miles Barlow explored so much with its idea mm-hmm. to the point in which I just said, like, I don't need to see any more. I think they did as much as one could with it. Um, okay. But I always feel a slight level of contempt in Andrew Daly's voice because he just has that kind of delivery but to me it's just i'm a huge fan of the australian show so when i hear him saying like oh i think the australian show didn't do as much as it could have i'm like "Eh, i think it kind of (laughs) did he's clearly just trying to talk his show up exactly it's all it's all it's all for you know the press of the show uh martek a pleasure as always talking shop with you talking podcast review formats uh it wasn't it wasn't a shop it was show talking show with you oh my yeah uh until next time Bartek. you know keep yourself safe don't go Mm -hmm. out reviewing stuff yourself you leave it to the professionals like miles or Mm -hmm. you're gonna end up in prison oh like miles well i guess yeah yeah you just review whatever you want Bartek. just go out there I like that escapism segment where he's in prison. <laughs> I love I love the first half where everything he's, is underwhelming and polite. Yeah, and then he, then he ruins that, doesn't he? Yeah. Ruins everything. Uh, listening people, you can find us on those social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. We also have an email, spitandpolished at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to hit us up on all of those. Let us know your opinions on the show or even the American show. Uh, and if you, by chance, worked on uh, the review with Miles Barlow, I'd love to hear some further kind of behind-the-scenes stuff or, like, where's everything gone now? Uh, so all of that's in the description of this episode. Uh, Bartek, we are on all the podcatchers. Mm. What should people do if they feel like we are so good that we deserve a five-star? If they... Uh, sorry, if, if you... if Talking to you, Ryan, if they, talking to the listening people, if you want to give us a five-star or any sort of rating, uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can uh, do that on various other sites. I think they, we're on iHeartRadio, mm. we're on... Stitcher. Uh, said Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, all of we're the not bad on boys. Google. Are we on the Google? We're on all of them, baby. We're even on a we're Spanish on all, streaming uh, one. <laughs> we're on all of them. If you're on YouTube, you can subscribe. You can give us a comment. We receive a lot of comments like, what the fuck is this? Why is it just two idiots talking? You can be the next one to do that. <laughs> People who don't understand when it says podcast, 
in any of the written words? There are so, so many. Poor Indian people who want to illegally stream some movie. (laughs) There was one recently where it was like, when does the movie start? (laughs) Or does the movie start? We'll never know. It's it's never anyone that that clearly speaks English well or as a first language, so it's it's very odd. Well, until next time, listening people, remember that Miles Barlow. Well, he's the man of he's he's a hero.